0: Well, this morning I am taking a break from my sermon series through 1 Peter uh, because today is Pentecost Sunday. It's a holiday that we celebrate uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been ministering to his disciples for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and then in Acts 1, he ascends to heaven. And the ascension matters because now he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, sovereign over everything. And because he's at the right hand, they send the Holy Spirit to live inside of believers. And we're going to get into what that is all about this morning. Uh, you might remember in John fourteen sixteen to 17, Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, said this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See that promise? That Jesus is going to rise to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, and they're going to send the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to live inside those who believe in Jesus. So in Acts 1, Jesus has ascended. The disciples have gathered together in prayer, waiting, because Jesus had told them to wait and that he would send his Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites— Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Let's pray before we continue. Lord Thank you for this text. Thank you more than that for what it means that you have come to dwell inside of us by your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that you would please illuminate, Spirit, illuminate this word to our hearts. Help us to understand and apply it, Lord, to see you more clearly, to understand and love you more. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a pretty pivotal moment in world history, whether or not you've recognized it. I mean, when it comes to uh, Christianity, many people are like, yeah, Christmas and Easter, right? Those are the big holidays. Christmas, when the, the eternal Son of God took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. Easter, when the Son of God not only died but rose again from the dead to conquer sin and death. Those are what Christianity is all about, right? And now we have a third holiday that you didn't know about, probably because we don't give gifts or Have chocolate bunnies or anything like that. It's just, it's Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, another holiday that is right up there when it comes to the importance to the Christian faith. When the Holy Spirit, God gave His Holy Spirit, when the church was born. And if you noticed in verse 11, they ask, What does this mean? What does this mean that all these people are speaking in all these other languages? And I'm going to answer that question this morning to the best of my ability. What does Pentecost mean? What does it mean for us today? Well, Pentecost, first and foremost, was not invented on that day. As you see, it says they were gathering for the Feast of Pentecost, which means that it predates that time. It's a, it's a feast. There was a Jewish feast, also known as the Feast of Weeks. Exodus 34, thirty four thirty four twenty two says, Celebrate the Feast of Weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So the Feast of Weeks was one of the festivals that the Jews celebrated. It was 50 days after Passover. Pentecost, that's where they get the name from, 50 days after Passover. It was a one-day agricultural festival where all these pilgrims, Jews from all over the nations would come to Jerusalem to celebrate, and they would bring the first sheaf of the wheat harvest, okay? It was the beginning of the wheat harvest, and you bring your first sheaf of the wheat harvest as a dedication to the Lord, as a celebration that God has begun this harvest, as a prayer that God is going to bring in the full harvest by the end of the harvest season, so, it's the feast of the first fruits, some call it. The feast of weeks or the feast of the first fruits. Secondly, Pentecost was also a reminder of the giving of the law in Mount Sinai. Because remember, the first Passover was when God delivered them from uh, slavery in Egypt, right? And 50 days later, they made it to Mount Sinai, and God gives the law to his people. And so, Pentecost was basically a couple things it was the feast of the uh, first fruits of the wheat harvest praying that God would bring in the whole harvest. And then secondly, it's celebrated and commemorated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So all these pilgrims streaming together from all the nations to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And God chooses this day of all days to pour out his Holy Spirit. Again, just like he chose Passover to be the day that Jesus was crucified, there's significance to that. And there's also significance to this, that God chose Pentecost to give his spirit. And they're gathered together, and it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where Jesus' disciples were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What is Luke telling us about the significance of Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit? First is this that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of the harvest. Again, God chose this holiday for a specific reason. One of the reasons is that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of the harvest to come, just as that first wheat sheaf that they would bring on Pentecost was not the whole harvest, but it was a sign of the harvest to come. In Romans eight twenty two to 23, Paul writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's talking about how we're looking forward to the day when Christ returns, when the suffering and sin and brokenness of this world is no more. He says creation is groaning, we're groaning, waiting for that day. And he says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've got the first sheaf, right? So to speak. I mean, if you think that your experience of God right now is the whole harvest, is the whole experience, you're mistaken. It's, it's just the first of the wheat sheaves, right? If you're looking at your life and your experience of God and being like, this is it, this is, this is what it means to know God, don't worry, it's just the first fruits. It's just the first sheaf of what you will experience on that day when you are with God forever, amen? When you are with him for eternity, that's the harvest, That is the love, the joy, the peace, the intimacy in its fullness. Right now, we just have the first fruits. In other places, Paul calls calls the Spirit a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, a down payment, so to speak, right? You put a down payment on a house or a car, it's just part of it. It's not the whole payment. And he says the Holy Spirit is like that. It's like a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. that On that day, we'll experience God to the fullest. But right now, we just got that. Wheat sheaf, the first fruits. Secondly, the Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts. Remember, God chose Pentecost for a reason to give His Holy Spirit because there was something about that holiday that was pointing to this. And remember that Pentecost was not only about the first fruits of the harvest, but it was also a celebration of God's giving of the law. At Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain. And he got the law from God, wrote it on tablets of stone, right, and brought it down to give to the people. This is God's law, It's what it means to know him and be His people. And now what do you see at Pentecost? God, Jesus goes up to heaven and then he sends down his holy Spirit not with tablets of stone, but to write God's law on human hearts, so that we would know Him in our hearts and not need to look to an external law. Think of a couple prophecies and how they speak to this. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Notice he says it's not gonna be like the old covenant at Mount Sinai where Moses went up and wrote it on tablets of stone. This is a new covenant where I am going to put my spirit in their hearts and I'm gonna write my law on their hearts so that they would know me internally. They would know me in their minds and their hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, another prophecy. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Are you seeing the connection here? So again, God chooses Pentecost to give his Holy Spirit because there's significance to that holiday. It was the feast of the first fruits. It was the reminder commemorating the giving of the law. And he's saying now instead of having some law that you need to look to, now I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to help you to know me. I'm going to give you my spirit, encourage and empower you to follow me. Not just a law you need to follow, but a law and the empowerment to follow the law inside of you. But there's one more thing going on at Pentecost. Remember that people from all nations were streaming to Jerusalem for this festival, right? It's a very awkward, you know. As I was reading it through, it's a very awkward thing in that you know, the list of nations there. Like, we hear them in our own language, Medes and Parthians, and, you know, this list is kind of awkward to read. Why is that there? What's Luke's purpose in this? Uh, The purpose is that the last time there was a long list of nations like this was back, way back in Genesis chapter 10, right before it says the nations were scattered throughout the earth. And you might remember in Genesis 11, what happened? Uh, They came together to try to build this tower, the Tower of Babel, to reach up to heaven, And instead, because of their pride, God scattered them among the nations, confusing their language. And so they went from this unity to complete disunity and scattering among the nations. So again, what's the purpose of what's happening here at Pentecost? Not only that it's the first fruits of the harvest, not only that it's the giving of the law, but now we see the Holy Spirit unites people across all barriers into the family of God. All these nations and all their different languages who've been scattered over the earth ever since Babel, gather together in Jerusalem, and by the Holy Spirit hear the wonders of God declared in their own language as God, through his Holy Spirit, creates this universal people of God, this family of God known as the church. It's reversing the curse, the reversal of Babel, God uniting people across all nations. Again, think of the concept of the first fruits. This is the first fruits here in Acts chapter two of this is what we're going to see in its fullness in Revelation at the end of time. Revelation seven, nine through ten says this after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Again, this concept of the first fruits. Here in Acts 2, you have the Holy Spirit being poured out, them declaring the wonders of God in the languages of every single person gathered no matter what nation they've come come from as God creates this universal family of God by the Holy Spirit as a first fruits of what is to come on that day when we are with him for eternity, and we're going to look around and be amazed that men and women from every tribe, language, nation, and people group are gathered together to worship God. Just in case you were not aware, Christianity is not a white man's religion, right? began in the Middle East, moved around Europe, North America now it's flourishing in South America and Asia growing fast in China and Korea it's all over the world it is not a white man's religion this is a worldwide family of God united by the Holy Spirit now all of this may be fascinating to you but it's it's not this is not really the heart of this passage yes the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of the harvest yes The Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts. And yes, the Holy Spirit unites people across all barriers. But the Holy Spirit's more than that, right? The coming of the Holy Spirit and the meaning of that is so much more. Pentecost is more than this. If you look at the imagery in this passage, what do you see? Violent wind, tongues of fire, speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit is like the sound of a violent wind. It's like tongues of fire coming to rest. Fire that symbolizes the purifying work of God, and the wind, which symbolizes the powerful work of God, the the power of God. That is what the Holy Spirit is about. It's about empowerment, it's about purification. It's more than just, you know, three points, and then we're done. There's many, many things that the Holy Spirit does, but on Holy on, on the Pentecost Sunday, this is what I want to highlight the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit, that that's what the Holy Spirit does is transforms a lifeless believer into someone who is on fire for God, who loves God with their whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, who is empowered to do things of eternal significance. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a violent wind. We're talking about tongues of fire. And as soon as I get into that, we've crossed the realm from the things that I'm capable of doing. And now we're in the realm of the Holy Spirit, right? I can give you a three-point sermon. I cannot teach you really about the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job, right? I mean, I can tell you some things about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit needs to teach you about the Holy Spirit. He needs to minister to you. He needs to purify you. He needs to empower you. He needs to reveal Jesus to you. He needs to apply this word to your heart. The Holy Spirit is looking for a people who are willing to be set apart for him, who want to know God, who want to serve him, who want to be purified, who want to be empowered, who want to pray and fast and ask him and seek him to pour out his spirit. So are you willing to be that man, that woman this morning? So the spirit empowers What does that mean, that the Spirit empowers, that that's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Remember, when Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what would have happened if the disciples were so excited that Jesus had risen from the dead, that they kind of neglected and, and just didn't listen to this command. And they just said, But Jesus, we gotta tell everybody. We gotta go out there and tell everyone that you've, raised, you've been risen, you have been raised from the dead. We gotta go out there. We can't wait around. We can't waste any time. They would have gone out, they would have told everyone about Jesus, and it would have gone nowhere. Jesus said, You gotta wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. Wait until my Holy Spirit is in you. And then the words that you speak are going to have power. The deeds that you do are going to have power, a supernatural power to transform lives. You may think it's different today, but it's not. You know, What if you're just going to go out and do stuff for God and ask him to bless it? go out there and tell people about God without being empowered by the Holy Spirit is really going to amount to anything. We need the power of the Holy Spirit or our words and our deeds are going to amount to nothing. Think of how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Love that. So listen, I am weak. Uh, my knees are knocking. I'm just going to talk about Jesus, but I am going to talk about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want your faith to rest on him, on Jesus, on his power, and not on me, on not what I could say. Think of Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Isn't that great? That's what happened when unschooled, ordinary men go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. People look at them and say, there's something about them that I can't quite put my finger on. They recognize these men have been with Jesus. They've got the power of the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit empowers us for service. One of the ways he does that is he gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us gifts. Sometimes that are, you know, gifts that we have our whole life. Sometimes it's just a supernatural gift for a season. Just one passage of many of them about supernatural spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians twelve four to 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. This is one of the ways that God empowers, that the Holy Spirit empowers, that he gives us supernatural gifts that can be used to minister to others, to transform lives in a way that we couldn't do on our own strength. Ask God this morning to empower you. Ask God to give you his spiritual gifts to gift you, to empower you for service. There are many different ways of serving, and we're actually going to get into this in a couple of weeks because when we go back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5 talks about spiritual gifts, and so we're going to go in more detail in a couple weeks about this. But for now, ask God to give you his Holy Spirit to empower you by his gifts in service to God. I mean, One of the sad things about this whole COVID time has been in many Opportunities that we've had for service have kind of had to be shut down in different ways. And I want to encourage you, some of you had to take breaks from that, you know, but it's time as we open things up again to step back in service. You know, if you are on the worship team, if you have gifts of service in music, we want you on our worship team to serve in that way. Hospitality with greeters and coffee ministry as we look at starting that back up again eventually you know we need people who have a heart for hospitality to reach out to people as we can reach out again through evangelism and visitation all these things that we had put on hold you know again how has god gifted you and how can you use those gifts in service to him there's something about the supernatural empowering of the holy spirit that transforms ordinary people into people who are extraordinary one of my favorite examples is of dl moody in the summer of 1871, two women of Dwight L. Moody's congregation felt an unusual burden to pray for Moody, that the Lord would give him the baptism of the Holy Ghost and a fire. Moody would see them praying in the front row of his church, and he was irritated. But soon he gave in, and in September began to pray with them every Friday afternoon. He felt like his ministry was becoming a sounding brass with little power. On November 24th, 1871, Moody's church building was destroyed in the great Chicago fire. He went to New York to seek financial help. Day and night he would walk the streets desperate for the touch of God's power in his life. And then suddenly, and this is a quote from his diary, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be small dust in the balance. And I stand here and we sit out here and we say, I haven't experienced really anything like that. You know, I feel like I've experienced in small ways, God using me to minister to others, but nothing like that. And maybe that's because, you know, God touches certain people in certain ways. But maybe it's because we haven't asked and maybe it's because we haven't prayed. And maybe it's because we haven't sought him. Maybe it's because we haven't believed. Maybe it's because we have been content with this much of the Holy Spirit, with this much of his empowering in our lives. Maybe God actually is willing to do the same in our church, in our lives. And maybe it's just that he's waiting on men and women who are willing to get on their knees and pray, waiting on men and women to stop being distracted by things that don't really matter eternally and to truly pray and seek him I guess we'll never know until we do that. So the Spirit empowers for ministry. It's part of what the Holy Spirit does. That's part of what Pentecost is all about. Do you have his power in your life? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, empowering you, gifting you for service to others? Second thing I want to highlight this morning from Pentecost is that the Spirit also Purifies. The Spirit doesn't just empower, the Spirit purifies, like fire burning away the dross and leaving just gold. The Spirit convicts us of sin, lifts up Jesus so that we'll desire Him above everything else in this world. Remember what Jesus said about the importance of purity Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a promise for you. Do you want to see God? Do you want to see him more clearly? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And maybe we don't see God very much in our lives because we are not pure. We are divided, distracted, desiring things other than him, desiring things more than him. Because purity of heart is to desire one thing. It's to desire Jesus above everything else. And the Holy Spirit purifies us so that we would desire Jesus and be like him. This is the pure in heart, Galatians 5, to 25, the fruit of the Spirit. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit has his way in you, the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Love that list, right? To be pure in heart doesn't mean to become some, like, uptight, self-righteous person. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who looks like this, who is just a person of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A person that just radiates Jesus. And how they live. That's what we're talking about here. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Is purify your heart so that you would be the image of God. That you would resemble Jesus to this world. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. Uh, to 21, Paul writes, In a large house there are articles not only for, of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. This is, again, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, to purify you, to be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to God. Right? A vessel that you can use, that you can use, God. That God has good works for you to do. He has purposes for you. And by his Holy Spirit, he wants to not only empower you to do those things, but purify you so that you would be a vessel, an instrument of noble use set apart for his use. We need both the purifying work and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our lives. I think that sometimes churches are guilty of emphasizing one or the other. You know, some churches are much more on the purifying end of the continuum, emphasizing Christ likeness, character, fidelity to his word, but maybe kind of resisting the empowering part of the Holy Spirit because they've seen how it can be misused. They've seen the abuses of what happens of churches and people who claim to be, you know, people following the spirit doing things that don't seem godly. And so they reject that. And then there's others maybe who emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit. you know, And they have this, this joy and enthusiasm and exuberance in worship and in evangelism. But maybe they lack in character at times or in fidelity to God's word or might be easily manipulated or vulnerable to false teaching because they have not emphasized the purity aspect of the Holy Spirit. And I think as a church, maybe we fall a little bit more on the this end of the continuum, right? Maybe we are emphasizing the word so much and and character and and, uh, Christian, you know, fidelity to Christ and all of that, that sometimes we might neglect what the Holy Spirit might want to do in empowering us, in being open to the Spirit, in, in spending extended time in prayer, in worship, waiting on the Holy Spirit, giving him room to work in our lives. But God wants us to be doing both to be open to the surprising work of the Holy Spirit while also testing everything by his word. I don't want to be a church that neglects the Holy Spirit, that neglects what God wants to do through his Holy Spirit. And I also don't want to open us up just to things that are not of him. This example we have, even in this Pentecost passage of speaking in tongues, right, you see the Holy Spirit coming, and they start to speak in other languages, and everyone hears them speaking in other languages. And throughout the New Testament, not only there, but in 1 Corinthians, there is this thing speaking in tongues that happens. And sometimes it's speaking in known languages, and sometimes it seems to be speaking in a heavenly language, a prayer language to God. And you think of the continuum, right? And you think of some who would say, like, let's resist that, because we see how crazy Christians and churches can get when people are all speaking in tongues at the same time, and They're overemphasizing it, claiming that you're not a Christian unless you speak in tongues. And so let's just resist that. And then there's others who kind of overemphasize and open themselves up to all kinds of things, not realizing that the work of the Holy Spirit is not just about that. And there are believers, plenty of believers, who do not speak in tongues. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 tries to strike a balance. He talks about how there might be an opportunity for people to speak in tongues tongues or other languages with interpretation when people gather. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Right? Be open to the work of the Holy Spirit, but everything must be done in a fitting and orderly way that aligns with God's word. Not out of control, not crazy. But not resisting the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians five nineteen to 22 sums it up well. Paul says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Sums it up pretty well, right? Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't resist what God wants to do through his Holy Spirit. But test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. So this morning, again, Pentecost. Yes, Pentecost is about God giving his Holy Spirit the first fruits of the harvest, writing his law on our hearts, gathering together a community of God's people and forming this church of all nations. But more than that, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is about empowering us for service. It's about purifying our hearts. And even if you're like, yeah, I'm a believer, I got the Holy Spirit. It's not just about that. It's about laying yourself on the altar before God and allowing him to fill you with his Holy Spirit, that he might empower you and purify your heart, that you might be the man or the woman that God has created you to be, to go out and to serve in a way that is filled with spiritual power, speaking with spiritual power, Doing things that are impossible on human strength, seeing God transform lives as he works through you. I'm going to end with this passage, Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. And I want this to be prayer for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why don't you take a minute in silence between you and the Lord, and then we're going to respond in prayer and worship.